Once again, good to be in the house of the Lord. Psalm 84 that there's this morning is lesson number six in our series. This is the last lesson. Pastor will be in September as well. I would appreciate your prayers. Uh, God knows what he's doing. Uh, I sure don't. <laughs> but I would appreciate those prayers. Just as a quick reminder, the last five lessons that we've had, lesson one was the altar of faith. Lesson two, the altar of intercession. Lesson three, the altar of obedience. Lesson four, the altar of humility. Lesson five, the altar of restoration. This morning, Psalm 84 verses one through three will be our text. And we are looking at the altar of abiding. The altar of abiding. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity just to be in your house this morning. We ask you, Father, that you would just help us as we... Uh, Lord, attempt to teach this lesson. Father, give us the grace that we stand in need of. Help the hearers, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I studied this and as I thought about it, even after I had my notes printed, I, I thought about a, I guess you would call it a contradiction within ourselves. We always ask God to abide with us. But we often don't want to abide with Him. And as I read this passage of Scripture, I had a totally different lesson designed originally. Last week's lesson was supposed to have been the last one. There was another one that we skipped. But as I looked back over the list of different altars that I have found in Scripture, I believe that this would be the one that the Lord would end this series on. We need God, and we need to stay close to Him. It's not... It's not a matter of God being close to us. That's a promise that he's made. He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. God knows exactly what's going to happen in our life. But many times, even in our Christian walk, we find ourselves distancing ourselves from God. Sometimes it's because of sin. Sometimes it's because of disappointment. There are many different reasons that it could be. But it is not what God's plan is. And as I look at this this morning, I would have you to notice a few things. Uh, this lesson is designed to be shorter than the others have been. We've pushed the limit to the very max on each of the other limits. There is something that I want to do toward the end. So let's get started in verse number one. The Bible says, how amiable are thy tabernacles. I don't know about you guys, but the English language is confusing, to be quite honest with you. It is the most most confusing language on the, in the world, if you ask me, except maybe Chinese. But we've, we've got words that sound the same but mean totally different things, and it's just not good. But the word amiable here, I had to go look it up. I'm like, okay, Lord, it, it's a nice word. It's pretty. It looks nice. But what does that even mean? And as I, I looked it up in the Webster's 1828, it means lovely or worthy of love. God's tabernacle is a place that's worth being in. Being close to God is a place that each of us as a child of God should want to be. I, I, 
I've been watching, Rita and I were blessed with a kitten uh, a few weeks ago. This, this cat is a terror child, I'm telling you what. We call him Little Mister, but when we're angry with him, it's a little monster. But this, this cat has, he does something, he likes to bite Rita. And, and so I'll smack him on the head with a fly swatter. And yet he still comes back to me. He's not the brightest animal in the world. But to be quite honest with you, it's a great example of what we're supposed to do when God chastens us. But often we withdraw rather than drawing closer to God when he chastens us. God's house is worthy of being in. God's presence is worthy of being in. Even when he is upset with us, even when he chastens us. And as I thought about that, it, we must understand the worth of being close to God. I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I've told this to other people before. But if you give me enough time, I will disappoint you. I will make you angry. I'll say something stupid and make you my enemy, at least for a short period of time. But God will never do that. God loves us and he wants us to be close. In verse 2 we see the psalmist as he, as he really gives an idea of where his heart is. He says, My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. To come to the place where your greatest desire is to be close to God is the ultimate in our Christian walk. To have no greater desire than to be able to spend time in prayer with God, to be able to sit down and read God's Word and ask God to speak to us. God does not speak to us in an audible voice like He did in ages gone by, and I wish that He did. I, I, I'll be honest with you, if there's one thing that God did in the past that I would like to see Him reinstitute, it would be that, to speak to me. But yet He's promised to do that through His Word. And when we spend time with God, our soul has to long for that. There have been times that you get caught up in life, and I understand this. We get caught up in things, and maybe we'll go days without reading our Bible, but there should be something within us that says, I've got to get back to that. It shouldn't take some evangelist or pastor preaching to you saying that if you've not been reading your Bible, your heart's not right with God. That should not be necessary. He says, my soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. We know that our flesh has a totally different desire than, than the Holy Spirit does that lives within us. But our, our flesh should come to the place where it realizes it has to give in. It has to submit. And the only way that happens is by spending a lot of time with God. Verse number three Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Notice this, the, the swallow has found a nest for herself, a home, a dwelling place. As the psalmist writes this, I, I get this mental image of him standing in the courts of the tabernacle and watching, watching as these birds fly in the very presence of God. And the envy that is there in his heart, we can hear it in this psalm. There are some things, Scripture tells us we're not supposed to envy. Envy not. But at the same time, there are some things that we should covet, we should desire, we should want. The Bible says to covet earnestly the best gifts. 
And if there's any one gift that God is willing to give to us, it's His very presence. We just have to choose it. And here, the psalmist is saying that these birds have found a place where they can live right in the very presence of God. You see, you and I, we, we come to the house of God on Sunday and Wednesday, but we shouldn't be far from God at any point during the week. We know that He's not far from us. He's proven it through Scripture. He's proven it through our lives. And as we look at this, we've got to come to the place where we realize that there is a nest for us. Notice that it says, where she may lay her young. I don't know about you guys, but I know in my heart that my son has endured a lot of misparenting from me. I was not the best parent, and I will freely admit that this morning. But at the same time, we did our very best to keep our son in church, to raise him in the house of God. Because if we didn't, we knew, we, Rita and I, we knew that there was one thing for sure in our life, we would fail. And if our son turned out bad, it wasn't God's fault, it was ours. We knew that, and the only hope that we had of keeping that from happening was to raise our son in the house of God. But it wasn't just on Sundays and Wednesdays. Those times at home far outweigh anything we could ever hope that the church could could accomplish in our son's life. We see these, these bus kids, and it doesn't matter what church, what state, makes no difference. It's always the same. Most bus kids are not the product of a church family. They are a product of a worldly home, and the only good influence they have in their life, for the most part, is the house of God on Sunday. And what we attempt to do throughout Sunday is often counteracted by the world on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and on. There is no way that we can totally negate all of the negative. There's no way. And the only way to make sure that it happens is for you and I to have raised our children. And I know who I'm talking to this morning. I know we've already raised our kids. But we've got grandkids, or at least some of you do. Some of you have great-grandkids or great-great-grandkids. <laughs> Brother Chuck back there nodding his head. How many greats are in front there, brother? Three or four? <laughs> a bunch, right? But you know something? We can encourage our kids, our grandkids, our great-grandkids to raise their children in the house of God. This is a necessity. Notice that it says where the nest was and where she was laying her young, even thine altars. When we think about the altars in Scripture, Normally, we think about that main altar where the sacrifice was made. And we don't often think about multiple altars. As I read this, I thought to myself, you know, it's pretty appropriate when we think about it that we're talking about a whole series of different altars. It's all one physical altar, technically, but different presences, different activities that took place at each of them. And here we see this scripture saying, even thine altars. But there are multiple altars in scripture. There's the altar of burnt sacrifice that we're most familiar with. But then there is the altar of incense that's mentioned as well. So there are multiple altars. We need each of the five other altars that we've talked about in this previous series. We need them in our life. We've got to have them. And if we don't have all of them, our life is lacking. 
It's just incomplete. It's not that it's not a good life. It's not that it's not a life that's pleasing to God, but it's missing some peace. Guys, I don't know about you guys, but I need as much of God as I can get. I know my flesh. I know what my flesh wants to do. I have joked for many years, God knows he can't trust me with large quantities of money because I'd buy an island and tell the world to take a hike. That's my idea of what you do with money. Buy Aruba, you know, whatever, you know. Buy some place where you can tell the world just to go away. But that's not God's plan. Verse number four, the Bible says, Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will, they will be still praising thee, Salah. Now, I almost misquoted that. It's a good thing I looked down to read it. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. I, I don't know about you, and, and I know that each of us, we have different thoughts and different attitudes when we come to church on Sunday. But there is no better place to be. This is the place that I like to be. And, and it's not just this building. It's not just Pastor Rice. It's not just this congregation. It's whatever church God has joined us to over the years has always been the place that we wanted to be. Blessed, happy. Yeah. We, can, we can go through turmoil and trouble and strife throughout the week. And on Sunday, we can come in here and be healed. This place is not just a, a place to come in and be saved and, and, and that's it. it. It's a place to come in and be healed. We had a pastor years ago that used to call it the hospital. We would come in into the house of God and be healed up so that we could go back out in it and do it all again. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. Dwell to continually live there. Notice this last phrase that I almost mis misspoke. They will be still praising thee. I thought about that and I'm like, okay, which way does the Bible intend this? They will, if we were saying it, they would still be praising thee. You notice the two words are reversed. To be still could mean continuation or it could mean peace and relaxation and comfort in the very presence of God. Praising God should give to us a peace, and this is where we should do it. You and I, we go out into the world, and if we, if we praise God in public, and we should, the world isn't going to care. They just look at you like you're some nut job. <laughs> like, what's their problem, you know? What's this hand up thing, <laughs> you know? They, they have no clue. But we come in here, and we can, we can be filled with peace and knowing that God has given us an opportunity to praise Him for what He's done. Verse number five, blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them. Them? Why them? Is he talking about the altars? Honestly, I believe he is. Notice what it says, blessed is the man whose strength is in thee. Our strength is in the Lord. We understand that, we know that from Scripture, but we often don't enact it in our life in whose heart are the ways of them, the altars that we've been talking about. We have spent six weeks now, but there are, if I remember correctly, 13 different altars that I have found in Scripture. And if you want to write these down, I'll give them to you. The first week was the altar of faith in Genesis 22.9. 
the altar of intercession, Numbers chapter 16, verse 46. And then we skipped one, which is the altar of witness in Joshua 22, verses 10 and 11. We did altar of obedience in Judges 6, verses 24 and 25. In 1 Kings chapter 1 and 2, we, we actually find two of them in those two chapters. In chapter 1, verses 50 down through 53, we see what I have marked as an altar of mercy. You'd really have to read it to get the idea, but it involves Solomon and Adonijah. In chapter 2, 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 28 through 31, we see once again Solomon, but we see Joab. And this is the altar of judgment. Number four, lesson four, we did the altar of humility from 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 22. The lesson that I skipped was to have been out of 1 Kings chapter 13. And this was the altar of confrontation. There are difficult moments in our life when we have to stand for God. And that is when the unnamed prophet comes and preaches to Jeroboam what he's going to do. In 1 Kings chapter 18, we see the altar of decision. In 2 Kings 21 verses 3 through 4, I called it the altar of indecision. This in, uh, deals with the altar uh, raised by the tribe of Manasseh. They, it's kind of interesting. They built two altars in that particular passage of Scripture, one to Baal and one to the Lord. They just couldn't make up their mind what they wanted. Lesson 5 was the altar of restoration in Ezra 3. This week is Psalm 84, the altar of abiding. And there are two more that follow, the altar of shame in Jeremiah 11. And then the only one mentioned in the New Testament is the altar of ignorance. And of course, that involves the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17. There are a lot of altars. We need each of them in our life. We need to be aware of them. And this list is available if anybody wants to get a copy of it or something like that. I'm sure we can work something out, but uh, you're welcome to a copy of it. But as we think about this particular altar, we need all of these altars in our life. When we get down, we're going to skip down to verse number 10 in our text. The Bible says, For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. There are so many people that are willing to compromise away the very presence of God to have both the blessing and favor and fortune is what I've got in my notes of the world. We're willing to give up what God has promised us as being one of the very best gifts that you could ever have. It is second only to the salvation that God gives to us. To be able to have His presence and salvation, man, what a blessing. But most of the world has decided that they would rather have the tents of wickedness. Most Christians have chosen the same. They would rather be all about getting what they can get from this world, even knowing that Scripture says we can't take it with us. There, how many jokes have been told over the years of some person that's died and shows up at the quote-unquote pearly gates and, at St. Peter there and says, I, I want to bring this suitcase of gold in with me. There have been tons of jokes that have been told, and, and uh, the comment behind all of it is, why is he bringing pavement? Yeah. 
It doesn't mean anything. What this world is offering to us pales in comparison to what God has offered us. To have, to have the, the ability and the opportunity to spend time with God is worth more than anything. I have told you even in this series of lessons that if there's one thing I regret from my life, particularly as a young parent, was the simple fact that I, I spent so much time being concerned about meeting the needs of my family, physically speaking, earning a paycheck, putting food on the table and a roof over our head. Are any of those bad? No. But the problem is I spent so much time focused on that. What did I miss? What did I lose out on? Brother Jim back here, he and I, we, we have a, a common link, and it's not just the Navy. We were both saved later in life, and we've both mentioned we were in a conversation Tuesday uh, uh, with a gentleman and talking about how that if we could have been saved at a younger age, we would have. How much time did we lose? How much did we miss? Just the opportunity to be able to spend a day with God. The psalmist says, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. Brother, you stand out here at the door every Sunday morning. Don't think yourself low because of that. The psalmist says, I'd rather do that. I can almost hear in the mind of David as he writes this, I would rather stand in the door of the house of God and greet people as they come in than to be king. He understood the true value of things. As I was reading some of the commentaries about verse number 10, one of them has a, uh, he calls it a, a passage from the Targum, the original languages. And, and the way he puts it is this, I have chose to cleave to the house of the sanctuary of God. And it is a choice. Everything about God for you and I is a choice on our part. God has already chosen us. God has already given. He's laid the gifts out for us. Could you imagine on Christmas morning for the average seven-year-old to come down and find a table full of goodies and say, you get to pick. And you don't have to pick just one. I can see that kid breaking his back trying to carry every one of them back to his room. I want them all. But yet we as Christians, we don't do that. God has, the scripture says, he's got a table spread. And it's not just talking about manna and talking about food in heaven. We can literally apply that to this particular instance that God has laid out every gift that he wants for us, laid it out on a table and says, here you go. Pick them. And he doesn't say pick one. <laughs> you watch a child and you give him a, an opportunity between a toy and a piece of candy and he's going to stand there going, uh, that one. And he's going to hesitate. We don't have to hesitate. We can choose them all. I want to choose the best things that God has for me. I want to choose every best gift. As I read through other passages of Scripture, Psalm 27 says, One thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. One thing have I sought after. One thing. 
if God only gave him one thing, that would be the one that he wanted. Man, I wish we could come to that. I wish we as Christians could understand that to that point where if we could choose one thing, it would be to dwell in God's house in his very presence. You see, it's more than just his house. God said he would dwell there forever. Hebrews 10, verse 25, we all know it, we've heard it, we've been convicted by it time and time again, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The house of God, this is, this is what I put in my notes. Being in church is not necessary for salvation. Rita and I know a man, we went to church with him many years ago. He was saved in the bottom of a coal mine. You can't get much further away from church than that. Being in church is not necessary to meet with God. Being in church is not necessary to grow in grace. But it is the one place that God has promised that He will meet with us if two or three are gathered together. God doesn't say that, he, that He'll meet with us behind a tree in the woods. Can you go off by yourself and get with God and His Word? Yes, definitely. But this is the one place that God has said, I will be there. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there will I be in the midst. This is a place that God has promised us. If we decided this morning to all go out, get into a car or a bus, and to drive to the lake and have church at the lake, God would be there. It's not about the building. Let me, let me make sure that you understand that. It's about us as individuals, as the body of Christ, as the church. God wants to be with us. Luke chapter 10, verse number 41 and 42, we, we're familiar with the passage, Mary and Martha. Mary hath chosen that good thing, and it will not be taken away from her. My wife and I, we've been Martha so many times over the years, it isn't funny. Cumbered about with serving, caring about a lot of things, just having it all weigh on your mind, we've been there. But we would rather, much rather be Mary and choosing that good thing. John 15, verse 4, the Bible says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, Except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. It's not just about God being with us. It's about us being with God. Abide in me and I in you. 1 John chapter 2, verse number 6, the Bible says, He that, he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. There's conviction for you. You say you want to abide with God, you better start acting like Him. Now, I'm not talking about doing miracles and walking on water and that kind of stuff. He set the perfect example of what a child of God is supposed to be. We look at the New Testament and we know that the majority of it was written by the Apostle Paul. But the Apostle Paul is not the example. He is an example, but not the example. Jesus Christ is. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, 
we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. Now, little children, abide in Him. Now. Not tomorrow. Not next week. Not next year. Now. Here's, here's an interesting thought for you. The idea of what's in the past, we can never undo it. The idea of what's tomorrow, we can often only hope for what's tomorrow. But today, now, is the only thing we have any control over. Choose today. Is that not what was written all the way back in the book of Joshua? Choose ye this day whom ye shall serve. Choose. There's uh, one more page of notes. But it's not notes. Let's see how bad I butcher this. Abide with me fast, false the eventide. The darkness deepens, Lord with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, Help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. Swift to its close ebbs out life's little day. Earth's joys grow dim, its glories pass away. Change and decay in all around I see. O thou who changest not, abide with me. I need thy presence every passing hour. What but thy grace can foil the tempter's power? Who like thyself my guide and stay can be? Through cloud and sunshine, O oh, abide with me. Hold thou thy cross me for my closing eyes. Shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. Heaven's morning breaks and earth's vain shadows flee. In life and death, O Lord, abide with me. Remember, we ask God to abide with us. We should want to at least abide with Him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for this morning. We thank You for the Word of God. And Lord, we ask You, God, that You would work in each of our hearts with each of the lessons that there have been. 
Lord, that we would apply these altars to our life, and Lord, that we would just abide there. Father, give us your grace this morning. We pray for the morning service. Help pastor as he preaches and teach us. Oh, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed and the piano's playing. I don't know about you, but I find this amazing that the God of the universe that created everything, the omnipotent, omniscient, God of the universe would desire to spend time with me. Yea, even invite us to abide with him. What a great truth. And yet he does want to. And yet how often we walk away and how often we forsake and how often we wander astray. God help us to abide with him. As the piano plays, the altars open. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me. That's what we need. We need God to make us into what we ought to be.